0: Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Densmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. We're going to continue on in this study. 1 uh, John. <clears throat> Last week we saw this connection between those who um, love their brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, those who are in the light. Again, if you are in the light, you love uh, your brothers and sisters. It's one and the same, You can't, and that's what John said. You can't say that you, uh, you are in the light and you don't love your brothers and sisters. It's, it's contrary to the other. We also saw what love does, and that's something that hopefully, I know it was a challenge to me, hopefully it was a challenge to you. Uh, we looked at what love does, and, and we saw that it gives. God so loved the world that he gave, Um, Again, John was saying that the commandment he was charging them with uh, wasn't a brand new idea. It wasn't a brand new command, but it it was fresh. It never got old. Uh, It was what Jesus delivered, same thing that he was reminding them of. And those six areas of stewardship that our love can be expressed or that we give or show our love. Again, so important for us to remember that we have control over these six areas. Uh, We talked about our time, our talent, our treasure. We also talked about our attitude, our actions, and our speech. So, how many people went out and got better at loving in those areas last, last week? <laughs> Thank you, Brother Bob. No, I, uh, Hopefully, we, we all were, uh, again, challenged and encouraged. And, and I love that because it should be something that we say, you know what, I, I want to do that. I want to I show more love with my attitude. I want to show more love with my actions. I want to show more love with the way that I talk. Um, again, I want to show that I love God above everything in how I spend my time, how I use my abilities, and how uh, again I, I use my treasure. And so tonight, move on from that and see what God has for us in this. So let's pray, and we'll do that. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us again to be here. Thank you for the opportunity to worship Your name. And uh, Lord, I just pray that You would meet with us tonight. Lord, we know that uh, there's many that are tired after a long day of working and. Uh, just going and going. And so tonight I pray that it would just be a time of not only uh, renewal and refreshing, Lord, but also uh, of encouragement and challenge and maybe even convicting. Lord, just do uh, what we need done in, in each of our lives spiritually, God. Uh, we, we don't want to uh, have just a moment where we, uh, we, we get to hear what we want to hear, Lord. We, we need to hear what you have to say. And so tonight I just ask that you would speak. And that you would just use me as a vessel. Again, you deserve the glory uh, for all that happens tonight. And I pray that we would just be receptive, that we'd be ready to receive from you what you have. And we'll praise you for all of this, Lord. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, 1 John chapter 2, we're going to come to a few scriptures. And if you've ever read 1 John, which I think if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, most Christians have read through 1 John. If you haven't read through 1 John, you need to read through 1 John. Um, but most Christians, again, have read through 1 John, and when you get to chapter 2, you get to these verses that we're going to look tonight, and it becomes a real good sticking point uh, for what uh, we should not be doing or what we should not be loving versus what we should be loving. John has built this case basically up to this point that um, as Christians, we are to love. We are to love each other. Again, if we are, if we are in the light, we will love each other. Uh, If we love the Lord, we obey his commands. That's how we know that we're in him is because we obey his commands. Again, this whole case has been built, and now he's going to come to this point where he, you know, we've we've looked at these kind of marks and these identifying marks of of being a Christian, love, light, uh, obedience, all that stuff, and now he's going to give this charge to where here's the difference between the two. Here's the difference between somebody who loves the Lord, somebody who's in the Lord, somebody who is walking in the light and the difference between uh, that person and somebody who isn't and so uh, he's going to break down in these next couple of script uh, the first couple of scriptures that we look at uh, it could be called three different categories it could be called three different positions um, stations in life uh, there's there's some theologians that have different uh, angles on what he's talking or who he's talking to in these uh, in these next few scriptures because he lists three different, Uh, people. Uh, He lists children, he lists fathers, and he lists young men. And again, you can look at these as spiritual maturity. You can look at different classes of believers. You can look at uh, different stations of life. But one of the things I definitely want to point out is some people presume that he's only talking about uh, somebody's experience of faith. In other words, when he's talking to little children, he's talking about baby Christians. When he's talking about fathers, he's talking about experienced Christians. When he's talking to the young men, he's talking about those who are in that middle stage of their Christian faith or their, their, their Christian maturity. Um, and it's not 100% positive that that's what the case is. Uh, because as John is writing, there's no doubt there are going to be children that read this. No doubt there are going to be fathers that, that read this. No doubt young men that, that read this. Um, but one of the things I definitely want to point out is regardless of, of what it is, whether it's a, a maturity, a place of maturity is talking about, a station or a position, uh, spiritually speaking. Um, I'm not going to go into huge detail because we do have kids in here tonight um, or, or whatever the case is. The fact is all three of these can be applied to every single Christian Um regardless of whether you're male, female, or how long you've been a Christian, because all of these become uh, the necessary elements for what we'll see in just a moment. So um, again, the first thing he talks about is children in verse 12 is where we pick up. He says this, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven and for his name's sake. Again, as a child of God, you know that you are his. Man, I, I don't know what you went through today. I don't know how long uh, your day was. I don't know how difficult it was. I don't know how much stress you're dealing with. I don't know all the problems you have to deal with when you get home. I, I, I don't know any of those things. But if you're a Christian tonight and you read something like this, if nothing else encourages you, nothing else uplifts you, this should be a verse that does that tonight. Look what he says. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. You know that you are his. You know that your sins have been completely forgiven because of what he did and because of his name's sake we've talked about it already that in first john chapter one where it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness again there is nothing that we can do that's out of the reach of what god's forgiveness has done for us so again if you've been a christian for a long amount of time maybe you've been a christian so long that you've had Periods where you've been backslidden and you've come back. You've been backslidden. You've come back. Maybe you're there now. Maybe you've only been a Christian for a year or two or three or four or five and now you're going through the first stage of our first uh, experience of being backslidden, being disconnected from the Lord, being disconnected from His Word, from prayer, being disconnected from from the church. And, And again, you just feel disconnected in that. Listen tonight, nothing we can do as the children of God can take away this fact right here. Your sins are forgiven for His namesake. Not for our namesake, not for somebody who's really good's namesake, but for Christ's namesake, our sins are forgiven. And uh, again, it's such an encouragement to look at this, such an encouragement to, uh, to, to think about. Uh, moving into this next stage, he says this, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known Him that is from the beginning. Again, whether he's talking about uh, the actual fathers there that were reading this epistle who had, who had been old enough, like John was, to have met the Christ, Jesus in the flesh, um, and who, again, he wrote about in John chapter 1, revealing that he was uh, the light of the world, revealing that he was the Word incarnate from the beginning. And so whether he's writing to that or whether he's talking to those Christians who are experienced in their faith, who have a solid understanding, have a solid uh, bedrock of faith that they stand on, knowing that they know him that was from the beginning. Regardless, this is, again, every Christian's experience. We know him who is from the beginning. This could have been based on what they had experienced. Again, some people say uh, that this is, he's talking to experienced Christians because that's what fathers uh, connotate. In other words, when you're a father, you've experienced certain things that children haven't experienced. When you're a father, you've experienced certain things that young men haven't experienced yet. And so whatever the case may be, John's writing to to them about this fact that they know him that's from the beginning. And then he goes on to the next group. I run into young men because you have overcome the wicked one. And this group, again, as young men are, even in our stage of, uh, or in our uh, day and time, young men are known for what? What are they known for? Strength, right? When, as the older we get, guys, what, what, when, when we need something done, what do we tend to start looking for? Younger men, right? That's exact. that's the way it happens. I mean, you start, you start looking for somebody who's a little bit younger, has got a little more energy. It's not that you couldn't whoop them still, Right? But, <laughs> at least in your head, you could, you could but uh, it's just you want somebody who's got that energy and that strength uh, to do what they need to do or do what needs to be done. Uh, but again, this group, characterized by their strength, again, something I, I want to touch on that about is, is, is so important. We have no strength, except for the strength, as Christians, except for the strength that the Lord affords us through him. Um, the strength that's found only in our faith in him. And, and again, the cycle repeats in, in the scriptures here. Uh, notice, notice a little bit of difference, though, in, in the rest of 13, 14. i write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. So he doesn't talk about their sins being forgiven. He talks about the fact that they know the Father as that relationship. i write unto you, fathers, because you have known him from the beginning. Similar to, to that reiteration. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one." Now, this is interesting because John seems, like I said, seems to be saying the same thing to the same three categories of people, three different classes of people, three different spiritual stations of people. He seems to be saying the similar things uh, over again. And somebody might say, why why did he have to repeat himself? Why did he need to say, I'm writing to you little children, I'm writing to you fathers, I'm writing unto you children, why does he have to say it twice? Why doesn't he just say one time, and that way they get the message? I think it's similar to John's account of what Peter, and Jesus, or what Peter experienced with Jesus um, at the end of the epistle. Some of you are very familiar with this. Some of you don't know about this. But Jesus has died. He's rose again. He's there with his apostles. Uh, they bring in some fish. They have a meal. And then Jesus has a conversation with Peter right before he ascends. And goes back to be with the Father. In John chapter 21, I just want to look at what happens in this conversation, right? So this is what happens. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Notice the word lambs. Verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And look what happens. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And so Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now again, feed my lambs, tend to my sheep, feed my sheep. Three different times Jesus asked him this question. Three different times he says basically the same thing, maybe just in a little bit different way. Why? Why does Jesus ask him three Why is he addressing more than one time about this? And I, and I would say many people agree on this. It, one of the reasons why is because this was a very, very, very important message for Peter to get. Similar to what John is writing to these that are, that are reading this letter in 1 John, it's so important for them to understand their standing in the Lord. It's so important for them to understand what the, the source of their strength is before he goes into what he's about to say back in our text. Again, some of you know the story that happens there. Uh, he, he says, you know, um, when you're young, you're strong. But when you're old, they're going to they're crucify you, basically. And so John, uh, Peter looks back and says, hey, what about him? Talking about John. And he says, you don't need to worry about him. If he lives until I return, it's none of your business. And so then there was a rumor that went about that John... Uh, was not going to die, which was not the case. He just said that it wasn't his, his business. He needed to worry about what he was commanding him to do. And so, again, tonight when we look at this, he's kind of reiterating this point. Whether it's a position, a class, um, spiritually, um, a stage of mature, a spiritual stage of maturity, whatever the case may be, there's some great encouragements here. Again, great points of emphasis that John is, is saying over and over again. For the readers and even for us today to remember, children, they are known because they have a relationship with their father. That's so important. The reality of us as the children of God being forgiven and having a relationship with the Father of all, uh, 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 the God of all glory, the King of kings. So important for us to remember we've been forgiven, we're a child of the King. As fathers, Having that knowledge, having that experience of knowing Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Again, we know the the, the Lord. We know the the Christ. And then as young men, he says, strong through the word, strong in their faith, able to overcome the world because of that knowledge of him that overcame the world first. This is the topic that John emphasizes next. This overcoming. So if you have a knowledge that your sins are forgiven, knowledge that you're a child of, 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 the, of the Father, child of the, the King of Kings, you know Christ who's overcome the world and your strength comes from your faith in the Word of God that has been delivered to, to you. Those are the, the necessary elements when you consider the world that we face, the world system that we, faith, we face. Because that's the battle that you and I face today. The Bible tells us that Jesus overcame the world and that we can overcome because he first overcame. But the the reality for us today sitting in this this room together is every single one of us battles the world system. Even as the children of God, even as strong in the Lord, even as, as knowing the Christ, it's the system that we all battle against. All three of the points there, all three stages, all three spiritual uh, marks or, or places in maturity. Whatever the case may be, all are so important in this battle. The only hope that we have against this world system, against the battle in this against the world system, the only hope we have is faith in God's word. Again, that's where that's where John pointed to the young man's strengths. Right, their faith, and then the word of God. He would reiterate this in chapter 5, and he says this in verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, ultimately overcomes the world. And this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. We sing the song, right? Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. That is what is going to bring us through. That's what's going to help us in the battle against this world system. Verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Listen, it's not news that the struggle is real. The struggle with our flesh is something that every single one of us face every single day. I don't know what area of, of your flesh that is weak. I don't know what area that you struggle in, but every single one of us struggle with the battle of the flesh. Every single one of us are in a struggle. If you're a child of God, every single one of us are in a struggle, a battle, with the world system that exists in this world today. So we all battle the flesh. We all are battling as the children of God, as being citizens of heaven, as being not of this world but foreigners, sojourners in this land. All of us battle with the system of this world. We also struggle against the evil one who prays on the first using the second. The evil one Praise on our flesh Using the world So think about this If you're in a battle and you know That the the arch enemy of uh, The king Is using your weakest Attribute in your life Against you It can be very intimidating It can be very discouraging Very disappointing There's a lot of Christians that live in defeat Because they can never get out Of their own flesh's way the enemy continues to use their flesh, continues to use the world, and continues to cause them to give in to their flesh over and over. Now, they give in to their flesh, but the enemy continually using the world, continually preying on the weakness of their flesh. He knows that our flesh is weak. Satan knows that our flesh is weak. And, and this, is the, this is the frustrating point. We don't have to go around the room and, and talk about each other's hot buttons, right? Because we know what they are. You 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 know what buttons the enemy likes to push in your life to make you give into the flesh or make you get in the flesh. Maybe it's when your spouse does this or doesn't do that, maybe it's when you get behind the wheel of a car and then the buttons start getting pushed. Maybe it's at work, maybe it's the way that the boss runs things, maybe it's the way that your coworkers get by with stuff. Maybe it's in the church. Maybe there's something that anytime this happens, a button is pushed, and, and again, you, you get riled up. But again, the enemy knows what button to push, and I, I've said this for the, the, the longest time. He will keep pushing that button as long as it's available to him. That's just the truth. Like, if he knows you're going to get frustrated with your spouse every time this happens, guess what he's going to do? He's going to push that button every single time. If he knows that Every time that you go to work and you see this happening, that you get in the flesh, you don't want to talk to anybody about the Lord, you don't let alone invite anybody to church, let alone share the gospel, you don't want to do anything. Anytime you see this, then I promise you, the enemy, you know it's true. He he will push that button as often as he possibly can. Because that's his tool, that's his weapon. He'll use the world, he'll, 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 he'll pray on our flesh. Because again, all of our flesh is weak. Even though the spiritual man is willing, just as Jesus told the disciples when they, fall, they fell asleep and he asked them to pray, he said the spirit's willing, uh, but the flesh is weak. Same thing for us today. You, as a child of God, no doubt have a desire to obey God. You, have, you as a child of God, no doubt have a desire to know God's word, to do God's word. Now, what, whether you're seeking after that and doing that, there's a desire inside of you that's there. But the first step, we, we all probably know this, the first step in treating a problem is what? What, what do you got to do, you gotta do when, you, when you have a problem? What do you got to find out first? Come on. The, who said what? The root. Very good yeah the source right because like if you if you continue having like a sore pop up on your on your arm at the, at the same place and you just keep putting ointment on it but it keeps coming back and keeps coming back and keeps coming back and keeps coming back pretty soon you're like something's wrong it's the same place same sore what is this coming from that's where that's where our mind goes right if the same problem persists, if the same issue persists, if the same struggling point in your life in the flesh persists, you've got to find where the source is, where the root is, in order for you to be able to treat your struggle. So again, I don't know what that hot button is. I don't know what that sore spot is. I don't know where that weak point is in your flesh as a child of God. But if you're not able to identify what the source of the root is, you're going to continue stumbling and struggling and and, and giving in and having that weak point in your Christian life. Again, the first step is to find the root of the source of the problem. Know where it originates from, from. If you struggle with the Lord, your relationship with the Lord, being an unashamed, completely sold out child of God, if you struggle with being bold in your faith, bold in your witness, and you find that living in this world and going according to the course of the world is a lot easier, then you have to know this is what the flesh's natural inclination is. It's, it's listen, I struggle with this. I struggle with being bold enough to witness to somebody. I struggle with reading my Bible. I struggle with praying and having an intimate relationship with the Lord. I struggle with greed. I struggle with covetousness. I struggle with lust. I struggle with whatever. With pride. I struggle with, with these things. It's just a lot easier to give in to this. It's just a lot easier to do that and, and, and not do that. It's a lot easier to, to stay at home and sit on the couch and watch TV and veg out. Instead of come and sit and listen to somebody rant and rave on the pulpit behind a pulpit. It's just easier. It's, again, if you find that that is your struggle, then welcome to all of Christianity. That's just the battle we're in. That's just the reality of, of this fight against the flesh, against the, against the world, against the enemy of God. Listen, I, I want this to, to really be hammered home before we get into these next couple of scriptures. The enemy of God, the evil one, he will pray On that point in your life or that issue of your life or that point of struggle or that weakness, he will pray on it until he can't find any more victory in that area. He said, I can't, I just can't get, we, we can't get past this in our marriage. We can't get past this in our home. I can't get past this. I can't get over this in this relationship. I can't get over this at my job. I can't, I can't deal with this. Listen, Satan will continue to pray on that issue until he can't find any more victory in that area. Again, like I said a while ago, some people find it's in the church. Well, if that person, this person, I just, I just won't ever talk to them. That's, go back and read First John chapter 1 and chapter 2 up to this point. Again, you can't say that you are in the light and hate your brother or your sister. Well, I don't hate them. Well, if you're not loving them, remember we saw what love does. Love is expressed in attitudes, actions, speech, time, talent, treasure. Again, if you're not loving them, which love gives, gives, love does. Love doesn't just exist without fighting. That's not love. Love does. So again, it sometimes happens inside the church where where Satan says, oh yeah, I see two people who I can keep antagonizing with this issue or with this, this problem or this Whatever, and I'll keep pushing that button, and that church will never have harmony because they are the Achan that's hiding the sin under their tent. And so that's not really sin. It is. It, 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 let's be honest. If if it's not something that is, uh, so it's not out in the open. It's, that's the, exactly what Achan did. Achan disobeyed God. He hid the hid the treasures underneath his tent, and it caused this defeat of the whole nation of Israel because he wasn't right. And so again, the enemy is going to prey on what he can find to pray on. And he's going to hammer that until it's not an option anymore. And as I said while I go inside of a church, Satan's not satisfied with one. Like if he can get somebody in this, in this church to be so uh, giving into their flesh, so giving into the world, that they eventually stop coming to, to, to gather with the people of God, stop fellowshipping with God, other people of God stop using their gifts to edify the body. Stop using uh, and, and investing and loving and doing the things that Christians are supposed to do in this world. If Satan could do one, he's not satisfied with just that one. Because in in what we see in Scripture is he's looking to prove our Lord wrong. He's looking to be him. So that's that's his his rebellion was I will I will exalt myself. I will be this. Why does he want to do this? Because he wants to win the war. So he'll take battle after battle. He'll take individual after individual. His desire is to take down the church. Remember what Jesus said? I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know what Satan says to that? Of course, evident by his attacks, his constant attacks, watch me. I believe that's Satan's response to the Lord's declaration. I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I believe Satan says, watch me do it. And so what I believe the enemy of God does is piece by piece, person by person, family by family, he begins an assault on our flesh. And again, he uses the world. His lures are very enticing, right? We know that. All of us know the reality of the lures of Satan with our flesh. Praying on our weaknesses. If he knows that he can get you to lose your testimony in front of that lost neighbor, he will prey on that every time. If he knows that he can get you to get upset at that family member that always makes you upset, he's going to do that every single time. He wants to prey on our weakness because he wants to pick us apart piece by piece, person by person. Again, family by family. John identifies this battle. He identifies what it is, right? And and as again, we talked about here's the source of our strength. Here's what we need to remember. Here's here's who are Christians. Here's who in the light. All those things have been identified. And now the line's drawn and here's where the battle is in verse 15. So he's already talked about our love for God, our love for each other what love looks like, all that stuff. Now he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Because if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, if you stop there, I think all of us in this room would be like, "Uh uh-oh, there's things I love about this world. Not the sin or the evil or the wickedness, but I enjoy some good Mexican food. I would say I love it. You know, I, I, I love good Mexican, I love a good steak. If any man loves the world or the things in the world, oh no, you know, if you just read that, you're like, this is not good news at all. But again, he explains what it is he's talking about, what, what the battle is, What why is there a distinction between he's built this case for, one and a half chapters of what love looks like in the child of God, of what love, uh, what the, the meaning of love is and why love is so important. And in all these, he's built this case and now he says... So there's a line drawn, right? Here's what people who are in the in, in light look like. Here's what people who love the Lord look like. Here's what real Christians look like. They love God. They obey Him. They show their love because of their obedience. They love others. They love their brothers and sisters. Again, this case of love. And now he says, no, but there's this, there's this other side that you're not supposed to love the world or the things in the world because if you do, you obviously don't have the love of God in you because they're two opposite ends of the spiritual spectrum. He explains it. All that's in the world, here it is: the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the, pride of, the lo- pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So again, what John is saying basically is there, this, there's this matter of affection that is a line that draws a line in the sand. If your affection, your desires, your your um, you're, again, all, all of those, those things, those words that uh, love encompasses is for God, then it will not be for the world or the things in the world. But if your affection and your desires and what pleases you, what satisfies you is found in the world, then you you, you cannot love God. It, they're, they're two different, two different groups of people. So to love God means that you can't operate in the world system. You can't love the world system. You can't be given over to the world system. And if you're given over the world system and you love the world, the things of the world, you operate like that, then you can't love God. There, there, there are two different, again, ends of that. It's a matter of affection. So it's another test, if you will. Look at your love. Look at what Look at what draws you. Look at what entices you. Look at what, um, what drives you, what's your desires, what pleases you, what satisfies you. Look at your life, because if you say, The things of God are what really satisfy. The things of God, the things of what what, what God has called me to do, the things he's told me, his word, what he's asked me to do, all those things I love. I love singing praises to God. I love God's word. I love God's people. I love gathering. I love sharing. I love all these things. I'm not saying that there aren't times of struggle, that there's not a battle in some of these areas, but your desire, your affection, your satisfaction, I love these things. Is that the statement of your life versus, now, I love my job. I love the money I make. I love the stuff I have. I love. I I, I love all of this stuff. If that is the statement of your life, again, there's got to be a real evaluation because John says this is two different people, two different groups. The word love there, where he says love not the world is uh, agapaho, Yeah, that's how it is. It has several meanings, but among the several meanings, it is to show affection, to show regard, to show preference, to prize, to desire, to be fond of, to be pleased with, and here's one that's difficult, to be contented with. The the Apostle Paul wrote, I think he wrote to the Corinthians, I think it was Corinthians, I think he said to the Corinthians. But anyways, he said that the world, that I'm crucified of the world and the world to me. Paul talked about how everything that was gained to him in the world, he counted as loss. Like there, there was nothing that really mattered in this world because he was living with a new citizenship. He was living with a new passion. He was living with a new, uh, a new life in Christ. He was a new person. Uh, any man that's in Christ is a new creature, he told him. And so again, Paul had a, uh, again, he gives us a great picture of what it looks like for somebody who has been changed, who is a Christian, who loves the Lord, what their life looks like. Now, Paul was an apostle. He he had apparently been called to the ministry of the Gentiles. He says that very clearly. Not everybody has that same calling in their life. But there are some attributes about Paul's life that's so important. And one of the things that he brought out was the world is, I'm crucified to the world and the world to me. I don't live for this world. There's nothing in this world that truly brings me satisfaction anymore. There's nothing in this world that I'm truly contented with. I realize that everything that in this world is temporal. He told them in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where he says all the things that are seen are temporal. The things that are not seen are eternal, even our afflictions. And so again, we see this love. You, You can't be contented with the world. Again, I don't know if you're a Christian. I've mentioned this many times before. You watch the news. You become discontented with the world. That's what happens to me. I'm like, I am sick of this place. <laughs> that's, the way, that's the way it makes you feel. It, that's feeling number one. And then right on that same wave of, of sickness of this world is a brokenness. This world is so lost. It's so wicked and so lost that they need the gospel. There's so many people in need. I mean, we have to turn the news off when our girls come in the room because it's full of so much Wickedness. There's so much evil going on even in our area. That's something popped up on the news on, on, on the, the thing today. Um about uh I don't know, I was on my phone, you know how you you get news alerts or whatever. I think something popped up, or maybe it was on the news at some point. Um anyways, about the lady who goes into the restaurant, has the child, leaves, or puts in the trash, yeah. Leaves, baby dies, they find her. I'm like, that's wickedness. That's, that is just vileness. As a Christian, that doesn't make you want to go, ah, this world, you know. Again, if you're okay, well, that's just the, you know, uh, some people have their choice. No, that's evil, that's wrong, that's sin, that's murder. You know? And so again, to be contented with this world to be pleased with this world and even to go beyond that to say that, that I desire things in this world there's things that I desire in this world above the things of God and this is where we can start getting really really sensitive in some issues but there's this transition between this relationship with the Father the overcoming of the wicked one by the young men this faith in Christ being, being what over, helps us overcome the world the word of God dwelling in us with this contrast of affection and contentment in the world. So there's just this juxtaposition out there, right? That's that's what we get in, in our text. On one side, opposite ends, here he goes. On one side, someone who's born of God, somebody who is a forgiven child of God, somebody who is in faith and has a relationship with him that's from the beginning, someone who has God's word in them, Someone who has, because their relationship with them, has love for God, that love is seen in their obedience to God's word. Doing the things of God, loving the things of God, loving others as themselves. That's on one side. That's the group of people, right? That's that's what we've seen so far in 1 John. Then we have this other who are just the opposite of all that, basically. But you have people who say those things. Remember, that's what... um, he said in 1 John chapter 1, Though a man may say, you know, there's some who say those things, but look at their life, look at what drives them, look at what contents them, look at what, uh, again, is, is, is their life is composed about, and they clearly have an affection for the world and the things of the world. Someone who is content with what the world has to offer and what the world gives to them. I would go even further to say someone who can set those things of God aside, except for what they say and profess with their mouth, to embrace the world. Did you hear that? Somebody who can set the things of God aside at their whim, at their convenience, to embrace what the world has. The two cannot coexist, John says. They're impossible can't love the world and love God. No matter how we try to rationalize or justify, it, there's people that do it all the time. I, I, I read articles, I, I hear people say it, I have conversations with people, and, and there's people all the time that says, it doesn't mean that I'm not a Christian if I don't this. And I've had conversations where, where I very gently and graciously try to say, can, can you show me that, that in the scriptures? You know, Because I, I, if you could show me, that would revolutionize my, my my theology, you know? It doesn't matter if I do this or God, God's still this or God's still that or, or this or that or grace. And, and again, we've talked about that recently as well. But what John's saying is, if you can set the things of God aside to please your worldly desires or to please your fleshly desires, the love of the Father's not in you. If you can say, I'm contented, and satisfied. I'm satisfied, de- I desire these things over the things of God, that they that can't, that can't exist in the same place. As I said a while ago, there's, it doesn't mean that there's not things in this world that we don't enjoy, right? Whatever your favorite food is, maybe even your activity, entertainment, something that isn't sinful in itself. Or you know, I like going out and jogging, or I like going out and doing this. or I, I, That may be close to sinful, going out and jogging, but... Um, <clears throat> no. No, but you know just something in the world so I enjoy this there's not anything wrong it's not anything sinful there's definitely things that we enjoy the Bible says that he's given us things in this world too, the blessings to enjoy but again there's there's a difference between someone who truly loves God and someone who loves the world its system its offerings and it still says they love God as I said a while ago, John already pointed out, if you say you love God, you obey his commands. You don't set them aside, you don't disregard them, you don't justify what ones you will or not. You don't just do the ones that fit into a worldly lifestyle either. If you love God, you keep his commands, period. That's what the, that's what the scripture says. Some people still argue, just because I do this, or just because I occasionally do that, doesn't mean that I can't. Just because I don't do this, or just because occasionally I don't do this or go there, doesn't mean again I would agree I don't know a person's heart God does we can just go by what Scripture says and I would encourage you if if you ever ever said that or you are saying that right now in your life I would just test your want to just test your want to you say what do you mean Paul essentially said that Paul in Romans chapter 7 says this picture is painted not to justify doing in his flesh or pleasing his flesh, but to bring out the reality of this battle in the flesh. In Romans chapter 7, we're not going to get to it tonight, but Paul basically says this. I have a battle. There's things that I want to do that I don't do. There's things that I don't want to do that I, that I do. And so I find a war, and it's, it's warring within my members. And with my flesh, I obey the law of sin, but after the inner man, I delight after the law of God. I want to do what God wants me to do. My only hope is Jesus. That's what he says at the end of it. Someone who wants or chooses to do something worldly over something spiritual really just needs to have a want-to check. That's just the reality. If at any point in time you can say, I can set the things of God aside because I want to do this in the world more, I'm just simply saying, that's gotta be a want to check. Because again, not based off of what Kyle says, but based off of what God's word says, when you love something, when, again, the, 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 the word of love in scripture, the Greek word, again, we'll, we'll, we'll go through that again, it means to show affection, to show regard, listen to this, to show preference, to prize, to desire, to be fond of, to be pleased with, to be contented with. And so if you say, I love God, I love him, I don't love the world, then at any point in time, in, 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 in even just the definition of the word, the word, I don't see how we can say, I'm going to show regard over the world versus God. That means that you're showing that you have love for the world versus love for God. It's a want to check. Listen, I, I don't keep every commandment perfect all the time every day. There's no, I, I know I don't. But I, I can honestly stand here tonight and say, I want to, every day. I want to live my life in complete obedience to God's word. That, that desire is in me. And I miss the mark, and I, and I trip, and I fall, and I, and, I, and, I, and I don't do that. But it is truly in me. Anytime that I feel like there's a pull towards something that may pull me against the, uh, away from the things of God, there's conviction that sets in. And so again, I think it's got to be a concern for, for the person who says they're a child of God who can be pulled away from the things of God and not feel conviction. He said, I'm okay not, not being in God's word. I'm okay not being in fellowship with God's people. I'm okay not praying to God. I'm okay not witnessing, witnessing for the Lord. I'm okay not singing songs to God. I'm okay not, not the, be, being involved in the things of God because that's what God's about. I'm okay not doing that and, and okay doing this. There's got to be a want-to check. Right? And I, I would say even a salvation check. Because even the backslidden person feels convicted in their backslidden state. I've, I've been there before. Before uh, Rochelle and I were engaged, we were dating, we would come to church on Sunday mornings, we'd have a conversation in the afternoon. You feel like going to church tonight? And every time that we wouldn't go, I would feel convicted. So that's just church. I know, but that was forsaken assembling. I knew what the Bible said not forsaken the assembling of yourselves together. I had the option. I had, I, it was a matter of choice, it was a matter of preference, it was a matter of of want to. And I chose to do what my flesh wanted to do, what, what, what maybe the world was pulling me to do, versus what God had commanded me to do. And so I felt convicted, even though I wasn't in the right place spiritually. God eventually got a hold of our hearts and <laughs> that changed and that has never changed it's never gone back since, praise the Lord. But again, we've got to have that check tonight. And that's where I'll stop. What what is what are your desires? What are your want to? As I said while I go, do you feel contented with? Are you pleased? Do you have affection for? Do you have desire for the for God and the things of God? You say yes. That's why I I want to do his word. I want to be in his word. I want to talk to God. I want to praise God. I want to be with his people. I want to fellowship. I want to serve. I want to use my gifts. I want to praise him. All the things of God, all the things that has to do with God, that's what I desire because I love God. That's good. Say, yeah, but, man, I still struggle. That's the battle. That's what we talked about. That's the battle. But the check tonight has got to be where you find yourself defending your love for the world. I don't, I don't think it's a big deal that I don't do this. But how can you say you love God if, if that's what you're doing? Check the want to. Check the desire. I'm not saying you're lo- I, I, don't, I can't. I'm not God. I can't say that. I'm just saying what the scripture says. Our desires, our want to reveals a lot about where we are spiritually. So how's your want to? How's your desire? How's your love for God? Tonight, Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I thank you for the challenge you've given me in this. Lord, we realize that we have to be in these earthen vessels. Lord, we have to be in these earthly tabernacles. We have to be in these these fleshly bodies that are still subject to the pull of this world, still subject to the pull of sin. These fleshly bodies still have that knowledge and desire for what's wrong and what's against you, Lord. It's a real battle, Lord, but we also praise you. For knowing that our sins are forgiven, we praise you for giving us your word, giving us your spirit, giving us everything that we need, all the tools and all the resources, all the help that we need in this battle. And I pray tonight, those of us who are, who are saved, those of us who are your children, we'd really do that evaluation of our life, that there would be no remnants, there would be n- nothing that would show any type of pull towards the world. But God, all of our affection, all of our desire, all of our satisfaction, all of our contentment to be found in you. Lord, help us be those people. Lord, if there is somebody here tonight that's battling, and they find themselves justifying living in this world, living for this world, giving in to the lust of their flesh and, and wanting that, giving to the, the, the lust of their eyes and having the pride of life, and that is controlling them. And that's what drives them. That's where their desires are. Lord, if there's somebody like that, I pray you just show them that you can't, they, they can't say they love you at the same time as being driven by those things. And so tonight, Lord, just first of all, just thank you for what you've given us this opportunity tonight. And thank you for this message tonight, this challenge, this evaluation. How was, how was our want to? How was our desires? pray you just move now and we praise you for it in Jesus' name.